pretty much everyone in my life that calls me Sky or Skylar now, and it's just, it feels right, and it's definitely who I am. There's definitely still a line interacting with people, like, one-on-one -on -one or face-to-face -face of, should I hold myself back a little? Because I am a little, like, weird, and I'm shy and anxious. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, yeah. How, how much of myself should I really, like, put out there? Yeah. I, like, I don't want to annoy people, I don't want to bother people. I've definitely related to feeling like I'm not a person to a lot of people. People can say these horrible things about me. People treat me like I'm not actually a person, like there's not a person behind the screen. It's this kind of idea of me, and I guess they don't realize like there's this whole complicated range of emotions and people just don't understand because they're just like, oh, I know that person. They're on Twitter. I know everything about them. And it's like, well, even though I'm open, like, I, I like people still don't know me. This week on Humans of Magic, we asked the question, what does it really mean to know someone? And how does the internet influence our perception of knowing someone? Skylar Warfield is a magic personality, Twitch streamer, and OnlyFans creator. And if you think you know Skylar, I challenge you to listen to this interview and think again. Skylar and I explore a whole range of topics, including the hard reality of being on OnlyFans. We discuss parasocial relationships and the good, bad, ugly of being a public personality. I'm extremely grateful to Skylar for being super open and honest about everything. We had a wonderful and stimulating conversation. Let's get into it. All right, today on Humans and Magic, we are here with Skylar. Skylar, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It has been a long time since we last had a, a recording. I think the world has changed and uh, we've all changed in a lot of ways. Like, I, I don't know. It's like, I think it was like back when the MPL and Rivals League still existed. Like, does that feel like a lifetime ago for you or is it just me? Yeah, it definitely does because I was living in a different state and a whole different environment and doing um well i was still doing the streaming thing but definitely approaching magic in a completely different way that i am now how, how do you how is it different then versus now is it just like you were used to be a lot more of a quote-unquote professional magic player and and now it's less of that or how would you describe it i think so um i know after rivals there has kind of been almost like a lacking of a pro scene um, in Magic so far up until like the uh, RC and stuff was announced. So I haven't really had a good opportunity to really test myself in Magic or I guess like care too much. So I've been a lot casual in my approach to Magic and um, that definitely involves a lot less winning because I have not been putting in the same amount of efforts or playing against the best people in the world constantly. Um, but I think it's really made me look at my relationship with magic and kind of brought me to a more healthy place in the game and with myself in magic. Would you say that before it was an unhealthy relationship with magic or it's just different now? I think it was really stressful because every event pretty much was, um, at one point deciding if I was still going to be employed in Rivals or if I was going to get a paycheck or something like that. And um, 
it really wears on you emotionally. And for a long time after that, I just stopped playing Magic altogether after Rivals because I was finally, like, free of it or whatever. And I've gotten to a place now, I think, um, a year, year and a half or so after a little thing where I think I'm finally in a place where I can be competitive again, but not have it mean so much to me and not have like every failure be the end of the world, which I think is why I stopped playing and caring so much initially and just kind of having fun with magic because I didn't want to put myself through that again. But now I can kind of look at like the RC and be like, okay, I can approach this a different way in a healthy way and still be competitive about it. Yeah. I, I, I mean, obviously I was never in the MPL or the Rivals League myself, but I, I could kind of feel like every week was kind of just like do or die. Like you had to, you had to perform, right? Like if you didn't perform, you might drop out of the, the league and everybody in there is just so good at magic. They're all world-class players. And I would say that you're world-class as well. Like you're in that, you're in that tier, but it's like, it must be a, just a ton of pressure, like week in and week out, like preparing for it, playing for it, and just, like, agonizing over everything, I can imagine, right? Yeah, it really was. I didn't have, like, a healthy living situation on top of that, so it was kind of just, like, nonstop stress and just, like, working at my mental health and emotional health so much. I just, as soon as it was over, I had a lot of work to do on myself to get myself back into a good mindset and a healthy place after that. Mm -hmm. And you're saying now you're in a much better place mentally, like you, you can enjoy magic casually, you can enjoy playing, uh, what is it, RCQs or uh, some of those events again? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've been playing a lot on um, this series in the Midwest um, from Nerd Rage Gaming, and they kind of have a, um, like a circuit series going on, which I think is really fun and reminiscent to before my pro days for like the SCG tour, which I've really been enjoying. And it's a lot more fun and less stressful. And yeah. I am really grateful for that to have an opportunity to do something like that again. Yeah. So I've, I've heard a lot of good things about NRG and I've seen some of the, the coverage, but I've never physically been to an NRG, like what, what is it actually like to be there and to play? I assume with you go together with your friends and you kind of try to have fun as a group, right? Yeah, it's really amazing. Um, especially like the little group I've formed, um, within the energies, I have really formed a nice little group with, um, Jesse and Zoe on the energy tour. Um, and we just have our nice little like squad and we have our other friends too, but they have definitely made me feel very like welcome in the circuit. I think they were playing like in the circuit before I was. So they really like brought me in and made me feel welcome and have also helped me a lot in progressing like my mind state towards magic and made me feel like I could actually start trying to play competitively again, but not have it affect my mental health anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but the energies themselves are really amazing for what they're doing now and what they were doing the past year, um, coming back from COVID and actually implementing 
COVID safe protocols while having big tournaments and working on increasing their um, like coverage and their production value every time. I I really like what they're doing over there. Um, yeah. And I hope they just keep growing because it's honestly, it's really amazing. So they, it sounds like they care a lot about the players and with like how like comfortable people are and things like that, which um, doesn't, it's not always the case, right? <laughs> yeah, they, they do. One of the, um, one of the judges spots the uh, future matches. Um, her name is Corey. And before she starts every round, she like makes sure that coverage has like everyone's correct name and pronouns. And it's just like, so like nice and sweet that I haven't experienced in like other magic, like professional means uh, much. Mm -hmm. And just that like small thing was like, oh, this is like a really nice and welcoming place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what kinds of things have you learned from uh, Jesse and Zoe, like just playing with them or, or traveling with them and like in terms of magic related stuff, or is it more like the kind of like the non magic stuff as you as you alluded to? I think the biggest thing for sure is the non magic thing. Um, I actually think I told Jesse this the other day, um, that it feels really nice uh, to know that I can be completely 100% myself and people will still be around and enjoy me for who I am, which was always something I was kind of afraid of being a big name in magic because you never really know how you can act or what people will think of you. And I know for a long time, I've, I've been open on social media a lot more than other personalities, I think, just because I like to spread awareness on issues and kind of like be open about mental health and stuff. But there's definitely still like a line interacting with people like one-on-one -on -one or face-to-face -face of like, how should I really like approach this? How, like, should I hold myself back a little? Cause I am a little like weird and I'm shy and anxious. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, yeah. how how much of myself should I really like put out there? Yeah. I like, I don't want to annoy people. I don't want to bother people. Mm -hmm. And they're along with like some of my other friends, but they're really some of the first people where I was really like, wow, I can be myself and people will actually like me for being 100% authentically me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that has helped me in magic too. Yeah. One thing that I talk to people a lot about on this podcast is just how weird the internet is. It's just like, especially, uh, I think you probably know this term well, like the, the whole idea of parasocial relationships and, um, yeah. and just like people have these, they, they project themselves on you, even though they don't really know you, like, even though they've only seen what you do publicly or your tweets, like somehow they feel like they, they know you. So sometimes when you end up having an actual one-on-one -on -one interaction with someone, especially magic players, I don't think magic players are the most, uh, smooth. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Like it's not, they're not always like, like socially uh, adept, socially adept. Yes. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and that can be kind of awkward to navigate. Right. So I, I don't know mm -hmm. if you can speak on that a little bit or, or if you feel that. Yeah, the parasocial relationships as someone who is known on the internet um, is really kind of uncomfortable from like a lot of different angles. There's like some, I think like the biggest one for me touching on the thing we were just talking about is people putting me on a pedestal at some points because 
especially like coming up in my professional career, I was um, like one of the only uh, successful non-male competitors. There were a handful of us and people really reached out to me a lot and looked up to me because of that. They're like, wow, like women, non-binary people can be successful in magic, Mm -hmm. which is great. But then I'm put on this very high pedestal. And when I meet people, I realistically cannot always be up to everyone's high expectations of me. And I don't always know if someone is trying to like authentically be my friend or they're just like, I want to be friends with mythic Mebo and not actually Mm. care about me as a person. Because it's like, it's almost like you're not a person. Like you're just, uh, I don't even know what's the right word. Like you're like a thing or you're a symbol or I don't know. It's like in their heads, it's, 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 you're not actually a person, right? You represent something. I've definitely related to feeling like I'm not a person to a lot of people, both on like people viewing me positive or negatively of people can say these horrible things about me or people can say like these wonderful things about me, but it people treat me like I am not actually a person. Like there's not a person behind the screen. There's not a person that's actually playing in these like top eight matches. There's not a person streaming. It's this kind of like idea of me. And I guess Mm -hmm. they don't realize like I make mistakes or I have feelings or I get sad or like there's this whole complicated range of emotions and things I mess up or things I'm working on or things I'm still learning that people just don't kind of understand because they're just like, oh, I know that person. Like they're on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I know everything about them. And it's like, well, even though I'm open, like I I, like people still don't know me. And I've gotten a lot of things where like I've become really close friends with like um, my friend Abe lately and like for a he thought that I just hated him because I was shy and wouldn't talk to him. But that was because of my own social anxiety. I would see him at events and be like, oh, uh... this guy is way too cool. I cannot talk to him. I'm scared. <laughs> Please don't look at me. Do not perceive me. Right. But right. Uh, he reached out to me um, a couple weeks ago because um, I've been grieving the loss of someone very close to me. And mm-hmm. we started talking and he just like really seemed to be a very like supportive person in that time and we've kind of like joked back and forth i'm just like wow we really could have been friends like really good friends this whole time but we're both just like actually like shy and awkward and didn't actually start a real conversation with each other (laughs) yeah yeah and and that's the thing too i have to admit like uh so I don't think we've ever met face to face, but I met Abe face to face. Maybe we might have played like, if, this is before pandemic. Like Abe and I actually mm-hmm. might have met each other in a GP because I, I knew his friend uh, Jonathan Sukenik and uh, oh yeah, and, uh, and who's a super nice guy, like both online and offline. So uh, Jonathan is actually like very easy to talk to. But I, I remember nice. I remember playing Abe maybe in a match, maybe talking to him, and I was just like, my first impression of Abe was like he is super intense or maybe it's just like, because we were playing magic. Like it was just like, whether it was like that interaction or like, again, I'm, I'm sort of the guy now who's kind of like the parasocial fan. I'm just like, I, you know, I, I listen or I watch his, uh, 
his podcast. And I'm just like, wow, this guy's like really, really intense. Right. But then I kind of realized just as you're talking about, it, it's like, do I really know who he is? Like, I, I don't like it's, it's like one interaction and like listen to his podcast doesn't really mean I know him. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's, that's interesting how you and him, like, I guess it was all just kind of one big misunderstanding. Hopefully it sounds like you guys are kind of figured that, figured that out then. Yeah, yeah, definitely. To the point where we're, like, we joke about it a lot, but it, it was really funny. Like he was definitely like scared to like interact with me and I was super scared to interact with him. And it's <laughs> funny just like how good we get along and we just like click as friends really well. Yeah. Yeah. Is he also playing in the NRGs as you travel to those? Uh, no, he's out on the East coast. So it's okay. kind of a bit of a travel for him for, uh, just kind of a smaller circuit. I'm sure if energy gets bigger, he might try and find time for that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, speaking of your friend, Jesse, she mentioned that you guys had a little terrifying experience on the way to NRG St. Louis, where you dodged some potential hate crime at a restaurant. Uh, can you tell me about that? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really funny that she brought that up. Um, so we had a car that was uh, all of us on the Energy Series, me, Jesse, Zoe, and Piper. And we get to like a stop in rural middle of nowhere, Illinois. Mm -hmm. And for like, for some reason, we're like, this is a really good idea for for very queer people to just go out in the open and sit down at a restaurant. And we go <laughs> to the Mexican restaurant and it's not like a Mexican restaurant I've ever been to where it's like more authentic. It is just a bunch of white people everywhere, like working too. I'm like, okay, like whatever. Mm -hmm. um, we sit down and- Gotta like, eat, the, right? <laughs> yeah, it, like, we, like we gotta eat and we have to get to St. Louis. It's like getting kind of late. And the waitress is, like, kind of a little awkward and, like, taking our orders. And she ended up taking, like, a few of our orders incorrectly, too. Like, she took Piper's wrong order. Okay. And um, she's, like, really, like, grilling us on on what we're doing. Like, oh, so, like. like interviewing what, you guys. Yeah, something. like, what, what are you doing here? Are you staying this long? Like, like, like whatever. And we're, like. Oh no, like, we're just passing through. We're going to St. Louis, whatever. And we can hear her like talking to just a bunch of different people in the restaurant, like other workers or like other patrons, like regulars or whatever. They're just like, oh yeah, they're, they're just going to St. Louis. Like they're passing on through like, <laughs> oh, <my laughs> and we're like, okay, that like, that's kind of weird too. Yeah. And so like her, uh, like props to her. She did not try to gender any of us a uh, table of just like trans non-binary queer people and mm -hmm. that was good we made it out but that was definitely the like queerest table that that town has probably ever seen so <laughs> it, it definitely got like the attention of everyone in the building and they were all kind of like looking at us talking to us so that was actually kind of like my first experience really like yeah interacting in something like that um yeah did it did it feel like volatile or maybe like dangerous or was it just like the weird questions from people in the room 
it was definitely um just a little like weirdness for me maybe because i had never experienced that before but mm -hmm. as soon as we left um like especially piper and jesse were like very alert and they're like that was really weird we should like leave right now we are very uncomfortable this is like like they just like knew more from having those experiences that like this situation can turn like yeah. bad or violent really quickly and then like i got scared because i'm like it, it was like clicking in my head like yeah. oh yeah that was really like there's like weird but there was like like dangerous weird and i'm like mm -hmm. they were really just grilling us to see like if we were going to be a problem <laughs> just by eating there that, that's that's so um like i can't imagine it's just like what if you just said like you know no actually we plan to be here though like we plan to live here like we plan to settle down here we're actually checking out local restaurants like yeah. we just move down the block like what would happen i just I, I have no idea yeah i like i don't know what that would actually turn into in like a very public space but like i definitely like trust my friends and their instincts and their gut instincts were like we need to finish our food and we need to leave to the point where like um like piper got her wrong order and she was just like i am not going to tell her that i yeah, yeah, stay yeah. here and i'm just going to eat this just just minimize interactions just eat it it's fine yeah yeah, yeah we just yeah. like Safe, got out of first. there and we're like like we had the option to stop for gas like too since we were in town we're like we're actually going to keep going to a place like a yeah. little bit outside of here just to like make sure we're away from anyone that might have like followed us or something because like that realistically yeah. as like maybe unlikely as it is like that happens like mm -hmm. someone could follow us to a gas station or make sure like we leave or yeah actually commit a hate crime against us and yeah it wasn't on my radar initially but like thinking back that is really scary yeah yeah um i guess it might be uh amusing in hindsight but i'm sure in the moment it was definitely scary and just like you were on high alert right so yeah we definitely like make jokes about it now like the joke that that was like <laughs> the, 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 the queerest <laughs> table that like that lady has ever seen in her life like we'll make okay. jokes about it now but like definitely there was like some kind of like on edge until we got out of the town for sure yeah 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 is that is that like the the tensest situation you've been like kind of on a on a road trip for magic or are there like other instances of that kind of stuff um i think in terms of like gender sexuality like hate crime ish kind of things that is um the tensest i've been but like i know in the past um for like the svg tour i've definitely had a lot of uncomfortable experiences with men that have been really scary of uh, like drunk mm -hmm. men like following me around in the dark where i'm like walking somewhere trying to get like an uber or something or home mm -hmm. from a restaurant or something like that um none that i can really like pull out specific examples because it has sure. been like four, four years at this point but yeah yeah but like magic was... players who are just misbehaving or like on the verge of something yeah there was definitely oh. like non players doing this in like public transportation areas and then there's also like not so like at events but there's a ton of just like threats and weird gross things like mm -hmm. actually in magic environments and like situations where like i've even had to go to like staff and tos and be like hey like i do not feel comfortable in this situation like 
I can't. That's... I'm sorry. I can't really like come up with a situation. No, no, no. It's, 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 right it's, it's totally fine. It's kind of, kind of like a spur of the moment question, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. No, I, I totally understand. Like, uh, actually, I shouldn't say I totally understand. Like, I, I have been creeped out in the past, but I'm, I'm a man, so I, I feel like maybe I, I do feel like in a lot of ways, like men have it easier. Like, uh, but even, even still, I've had, I've had incidents where. I've been trying to like, I was just like filling up on gas in the middle of nowhere in, in the U S and like, just some guy would just approach me and I'd just be like, what the heck is happening? I better leave right now. And it's just like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of random stuff that like, fortunately not, nothing really happened, but it's just like, you have to kind of be careful out there because you never know who's out there. Right. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And if you like, I don't know, I feel like if you always just like made off something like that of like, Oh, like this is nothing. I shouldn't worry about it. Like, that's when something actually happens because like exactly. you do read about all this stuff that does happen in gas stations or random places. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, by the way, about Jesse, uh, Jesse Robkin, like how long have you, have you known her? Because I just listened to, um, uh, the podcast that she was on for constructed criticism, which was, which is, I think Abe and Mason's podcast. Yeah. And, uh, I was, I was, I was blown away. Like, it seemed like she had only been playing magic for not that long. Like, and she's a very competitive player and she's writing for, uh, I think CFB or TCG, one of those. And it's just like, um, how did you guys meet and what, how, how did you guys develop friendship? Yeah. It's really amazing seeing her like write for CFB and all this stuff because she has such a brilliant mind when it comes to magic. It's really interesting to hear her talk about magic and theory and deck building and design and choices and it's really inspiring i remember i met her um through our mutual friend shay um at some chicago magic event i believe and oh because she's based in chicago right i think yeah yeah okay. i think it was like Oh, like a regional that's, event. That's public information, SCG. by the way. She mentioned that. So I'm not, I am not <laughs> like stalking her or anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, like, I believe I met her at one of the like SCG regional events that happened in Chicago. And I remember at first I kind of like wrote her off because like, um, I think I just like lost a match or whatever and she was trying to ask me questions about Jund. This is a specific, specific memory I have about her. And she's, like, asking all these questions, and I'm just, like, trying so hard not to, like, salt off from my last match. I'm just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a great inclusion to Jund. I want to go punch a wall now. <laughs> just because I was so, like, mad at the last Wait, was match. She, was she asking you questions about the match, or was she, a was she telling you things about the match or combination? I, I don't think it was even about the match. I think she was just talking about, like, her own deck, because I remember remember at one point we both played Jund, but I'm pretty sure I played Burn at that event. Um, so I don't think it was even like relevant, but she was just trying to have a conversation with me because she's a nice and outgoing person. And I was just like not having it because I was like <laughs> so tilted at this match. I felt right. bad after, but like, um, I also saw her at like SD Indianapolis, like right before COVID happened. And then, um, we followed each other on Twitter, kind of interacted here and there. And then I think really just with the introduction of going back to energies, I can't really say like when it clicked and we became really good friends. Mm -hmm. But um, I think for me specifically, 
um, her and Zoe came over one night, um, came over to my house one night over the summer, and um, we just watched horror movies all night. And when we were falling asleep, um, Jesse just slept in the other half of my bed, and we were about to go to sleep, but then we just, like, started talking and having, like, really deep talks and, mm -hmm. like, something I haven't really done with any, like, girlfriends since, like, high school. Mm -hmm. And, like, I got really deep with her. Um, I was, like, at one point, just, like, I don't really know who I am. And, like, I was just, like, crying, and she's just, like, can I hug you? And I would cry more, and I was, like... <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah. that night for me specifically is when i knew that she was one of the most important people in my life okay so that that really sealed the deal like just yeah just the sleepover it's all about that sleepover you need to have a sleepover yeah. and get to know somebody. yeah I, I didn't have a sleepover since like high school so maybe it was just like that kind of like meaningful thing from my past i was like yeah i wish uh I wish there were more opportunities in general for people to have sleepovers. Like, I'm sorry if I'm making light of it, but it's like, um, I, I feel like just for men, it's just like very hard to have those sorts of like social situations where you get to really, really know somebody. Like you have to like, you have to kind of like mask it and like, oh, let's get drunk together or let's uh, do like mm -hmm. certain things together, like in a masculine way. But um, uh, sorry, that's that's very much a tangent, but I'm, I'm really happy that... Uh, that you and Jesse, uh, you know, became good friends. And, uh, yeah. Um, she also asked me to ask you about Cornhub. So what is Cornhub? <laughs> um, when COVID kind of, um, happened, um, a bunch of friends, I, I really don't remember how this started, but a bunch of us made just like a discord server and um we called it corn hub okay because it sounds like porn hub i like i don't know um and i remember like the day it formed a bunch of us just started tweeting the corn emoji and everyone on twitter was like what's with the corn emoji why is everyone <laughs> tweeting corn and then it was kind yeah. of just this like click we had which wasn't yeah. like really a click but it was like it was our own little like space on the internet and um okay. apparently a lot of people wanted to be in this discord when it was really just a bunch of friends shit posting constantly it was literally just the discord where you could just spam the corn emoji or like corn reacts <laughs> to to corn is that what it was yeah yeah i i don't i think the the corn came from a lot of in the midwest and it's corn so ah uh, yeah I maybe i don't quite remember but i know um for the most part we played like among us every night when that was popular and that mm. really we, we did that like for months and that really kind of went like helped a lot of us get through months of covid yeah yeah i i remember like among us at one point was like the biggest game right it felt like the biggest game on the planet like everybody was playing it during the the pandemic or streaming it i think aoc streamed playing herself playing like among us right like there was it was yeah, huge for a long yeah. time so, like the thing with like me and the discord server corn hub is like all of us would like 
work or go to school or do whatever we did during the day. And then about like 5 p.m. we would all just like get online in this Discord server. And then when we had like 10 people, we're like, all right, time to play Among Us. And then we would just play for hours. And then we started getting into like, it started off as Among Us. And then, oh, I remember how it started. It started because there was this huge Among Us Discord server and a bunch of us wanted like a smaller space where it was just our friends. So we made a different space for like a smaller space. I think it was, I think it was actually this guy, Will, and it started the name as uh, people who Will likes to play Among Us with. <laughs> and, so literal. So, so it. It was liter- yeah, that that was like the initial thing, and then it somehow got changed into Corn Hub because we were playing Among Us, and then uh, more people were added, and we started tweeting corn emojis, and then we became like really good friends. Like, yeah, because a lot of us like didn't necessarily know each other, and like just a bunch of us became friends with each other um, mm-hmm. through that Discord server over COVID. So that was really nice. So this is just a magical game. Like, uh, what happened to Among Us, by the way? Like, people still do people still play it? Like, do you still play it? Or has it just kind of gone away? No, I think there was really high hopes for the new map, and then it was just horrible, so people stopped playing it. Ah, uh, okay, okay. You're only as good as your last hit, I guess. So if the map sucks, then I guess, <laughs> I guess it's, so. it's, it's, it's a no-go. Like, how would you describe your, your style for Among Us? Were you always, like, uh, one of the... Was it imposters or like, like what, or is it just all randomly assigned? Actually, I don't know too much about it. I, w- I was a good imposter. I would try and like <laughs> tactically kill people, but, um, there were, there were a point in time in Cornhub where, uh, we invited Derek in to play with us, misplaced ginger. And, uh, he had a little bit of a crush on me, so he kept killing me every time he was the imposter. So there was, there was always this joke. Anytime I was dead, they would just vote him out. They're like, this has to be Derek. He has to be the one who killed me, Bo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think there was something about Magic players and Among Us, right? Like, everybody was really really into it like i guess it was just a very much like a high level meta or strategy thing behind it so i I don't know if that's uh like that must be very enjoyable for a lot of players right yeah it was really good for a long period of time and i really enjoyed it yeah yeah so what are you playing you you mentioned that you have a better relationship with magic now but um i also want to talk to you about the other uh, major, major game that you're really, really into. So can you tell me, tell me, can you tell me about Valorant? Maybe just tell me like how you initially even got into the game in the first place. Yeah. So along with this discord server in Cornhub, um, I forget, I think it was Mason actually, he brought attention to this game, um, was like, Hey, I think you guys would really like playing Valorant. You should try it. And I tried it once with him and I'm like, Eh, I don't really like this game. I want to keep playing, like, Among Us or whatever. Okay. And then after, like, Among Us kind of died, um, like, me and Mason and Derek and our friend Manda and a bunch of other people just started playing um, Valorant. And I ended up playing Valorant a lot. (laughs) There was, like, almost every day for, like, year maybe me and Derek would play a lot just because like we were kind of on the same skill level so I really liked playing with Derek and then yeah. um 
eventually when were I you guys on the same team or is it like is it like is it like yeah, 1v1 yeah we would be or... on the same team okay okay yeah and, well, and then yeah. eventually i moved back with my parents and me and derek started dating so then it was just kind of a way to bond with him so i did a lot of valorant yeah yeah so what what what's so magical about valorant because i i have to admit i haven't played it like i know it's i know like very nominally it's a it's a shooter game. Like there's obviously like a lot of mm -hmm. tactics and things like that. Like I, I remember playing like Counter-Strike back in the day. That's kind of like dating myself, but like, I, I don't know a lot of modern shooters. So like, what is it about Valorant that really draws you into it? Valorant is actually basically just a reskinned CSGO. Um, so the idea is it's a team 5v5 tactical shooter. Um, there's like two halves. Um, one team is attacking and one team is defending. The attacking team tries to plant a bomb and have it go off or kill everyone on the other team. And defense mm -hmm. tries to kill all of them or prevent them from planting the bomb before time runs out mm -hmm. or until time runs out. And then there's 12 rounds of that. You switch and then uh, first team to hit 13 round wins wins <laughs> and okay. uh there's specifically like the difference between csgo and valorant that i really like is each character has um different like abilities and i really like that kind of idea of uh ability based characters um so i started with a character called sage and she um is a healer so her just like basic ability that you don't have to buy heals your teammates or heals yourself and then she also has um an ice wall that she can put up once around and two uh slow orbs that she can throw on the ground and the ground is slow for a little bit mm -hmm. so that that's really the aspect i like is that you can like learn a character and it serves a different role and then i got really into the theory behind um like team compositions and stuff of like, why do you want uh, mm. a certain amount of controllers on your team? And you want a controller character on each mm -hmm. of your teams because they throw smokes at specific choke points. So you can enter the site without the other team seeing you. And there's just, it, it's really hard to <laughs> describe without getting too into it for people who don't play yeah. Valorant, but there's yeah. a lot of ways that the character's abilities can interwork with each other and right. the map to build kind of an ideal team composition. Um, yeah, yeah. There's, there's yeah. like 20 or so characters now, and you pick five of them for your team. I see. So you can so, build a bunch of different like iterations of characters. So to use a very crude magic analogy, there's almost like a, there's definitely a team construction and kind of like synergy between different types of characters. So it's like, if you're playing on this map, maybe you need to use Sage plus like, like maybe there's an optimal lineup or maybe it's like not really an optimal lineup, but it's like based on the strategy your team wants to do, right? Then you obviously have to like coordinate. So it sounds like um, maybe different from traditional shooters because traditional shooters as i know it first of all there's no like nobody has like sci-fi abilities like you can't heal somebody because they just get headshotted and they're dead so yeah. um you actually have like you can take more than one shot it uh it sounds like and still and you can heal people and it sounds like there's like some magical or sci-fi elements to it right yeah it's really cool and to kind of go um 
back to the synergy you were talking about, if we like use Sage as an example, she can like slow slow the ground, like I said, and there's another character, Raze, that can throw a grenade. So the synergy there is like slow enemies on the ground so they can't escape, and then Raze can throw her grenade into the like slow orb so they can't escape and they get hit by the grenade and stuff like that. Yeah. So it sounds like this game requires a lot of dexterity. Like, is that how do you how do you um, build that up? Is it just just reps practice or what? Yeah, I it was so hard for me to initially get into Valorant because I've never played a shooter on mouse and keyboard before. I was mm -hmm. always a controller person. Mm -hmm. Like PS4 Consoles. controller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, it was really really hard, but. As soon as I got kind of like the movement down, it got easier. And then like the next learning curve was actually aiming correctly. And mm -hmm. once you kind of get like your aim down, because you kind of just like always want to aim for the head, obviously. But mm -hmm. um, once you kind of get that down and get your shooting okay, you can kind of start to think about like the deeper aspects of the game. Mm -hmm. of, so how like, long did it synergy. take you... How long did it take to get kind of the fundamentals down? Like how many hours did you have to practice or play? Uh, <laughs> Hundreds, I, thousands? I, I, I could know. not even probably think about that. Um, honestly, I have no idea just because I've, I spent so much time inside over that period of time because of the COVID yeah. and... Yeah. Just endless so, hours. Yeah, like, I, I was just, like, constantly on my computer, whether that be Magic or streaming or Valorant or whatever. I just, like, always felt like I was on my computer, so I could not actually give you, like, a real yeah, estimate. Yeah. That that period of time just, like, does not exist anymore. Just just kind of blurs, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um. So maybe another way to ask the question is how does one actually get better at Valorant? Like, is it just, like... Did you do a combination of like, obviously you played all the time. That's what you said. But like, did you like study the game? Like, did you like, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to equate it to like improving in other games like magic. Like what, what, like, did you, or maybe I should step back and even ask like, what were your goals with Valorant? Is it just to have fun? Is it like to level up and become better and better? Or like, what was that? What was, did you have any goals or maybe you didn't have goals? Uh, there was a ranked system. Um, or there is a rank system, and the goal I did have when I was starting out was to reach gold in the rank system, and just this past month, or like two months, I have hit gold, so I, oh, I got congrats. that initial yeah, like, yeah. starting goal point, which I thought I could never do. Um, as far as getting better in Valorant, a lot of it is like reps and stuff, and similar to Magic playing with players that are better than you is mm. just a great way to get better. Mm -hmm. But there are also content creators that write articles or stream, and those are very informative. You can hire a coach. Um, mm -hmm. I personally watched a ton of professional play, and that really helped me. Obviously not, like, in the physical game of, like, dexterity and shooting, but more of the, mm -hmm. like, theory part of it. Or mm -hmm. where to use an ability, or where mm -hmm. to stand if mm -hmm. I'm on defense and stuff like, like positioning that. and like what strategies or tactics to use. Yeah. Yeah. And how my abilities can work with another character's abilities. And, um, that was really interesting. And I still really like watching professional play It's one of my favorite things to watch. Like 
I honestly, it's really bad, but I honestly do not watch magic content, like, at all. Why should I you? Watch... It's not as fun as watching shooter <laughs> content or other content, right? Yeah, but I, yeah. I watch so much Valorant, and, like, maybe I'll, like, I watched Worlds um, just the other week for magic, and that was great, but mm -hmm. outside of that, I really don't consume a lot of magic content, and mm -hmm. I've heard that from a lot of content creators, is they don't typically consume a lot of content if they're making content. But I think that's different of Valorant because I know a lot of people making content also watch Valorant content. And maybe that is just because it's fun to watch or it's easier to watch and consume. But I watch a lot more Valorant than I do Magic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's also real time, right? So there's always like something going on. So I, I can imagine that being uh, much more exciting to watch. I mean, even even games that I don't play like I, I would watch like the content once in a while if it's a shooter because like it's just like i don't have to play it to kind of like admire the dexterity or like some stuff that's happening right whereas magic it's like yeah. I, have to, I really understand it at a deep level otherwise it's just like i don't understand any of it so yeah it also has that like real esports thing that magic never actually got to even though they tried to get there um or like yeah. there's teams that you can cheer for and there's actual like people and individuals you cheer for and it's a lot like people like all over the world too of just like there's uh like f let's say like five big na teams that people like to cheer for and then um like four apac teams that are well known and then like six european teams or whatever and mm -hmm. it's the like rivalries between teams are actually like really fun too and that was never kind of a thing within Magic because you couldn't really, because it was never really like a team thing, right? Like you can't just like go up to yeah. someone and like have a rivalry with someone because then it's kind of it's drama or whatever. Yeah. So what what's what's your favorite thing happening in Valorant right now? Just in terms of like uh, I don't know what to call that, like organized play or uh, yeah, are, are there particular storylines or like players or teams that you're really into? Um, my favorite team was actually a, um, a European team. I'm pretty sure they categorized themselves in Europe instead of Asia. Um, it's like a, a Russian team. Um, they were first Gambit, but when the, uh, war over there started, they changed their name to Mech so they could kind of distance themselves from the country and mm. just play esports and stuff and kind of ignore any kind of sociopolitical thing within their game. Um, but my favorite uh, player there was uh, this guy named Nats. That's his, like, gamer tag or whatever. Um, and I, rem I I just, like, got drawn to this team because I think they were the first professional team I watched play. And I saw Nats play this character that is not really played in professional play at the time. Um, mm. And the name, the name of the character was Cypher. So he mm. ended up being the best Cypher player in the world because no one really played Cypher. And I really liked watching how Nats played and kind of, like, lurked on, like, the other, like, there's normally, like, two bomb sites that you want to plant the bomb on. So he would, like, lurk over on the other side when his team is on, like, the first mm. site. So he would, like, come up behind the defending team and then, like, kill them from behind. And I thought this play was super interesting. And 
not like typical play from like the person who's been playing like a month. So I feel I felt like I really learned a lot from him in a different role in Valorant. So I've been yeah. following him a lot, and uh, that team actually, I believe, got disbanded, and he is now going to play on Liquid uh, this upcoming year. So I guess I will try and cheer for Liquid now, because I'm really, in, like, I, I love Nats, so yeah. I think I have to cheer for Liquid, even though I'm not a huge Team Liquid fan. Those are always fun, right? I think what you're describing is, like, uh analogy i'll make is like fighting games right because you always find someone who can use like a so-called lower tier character and do well with them with some sort of like unorthodox strategy and just in a way they're almost like breaking the game or breaking all assumptions that you have at for the game and it's just like it's really wild like when people have this like create this new paradigm i mean i guess it happens in magic to some extent as well like when someone breaks out with a new innovation but it like that's really exciting because like when you watch them play that character or Matt's play that character, it's like they're obviously seeing the game on such a in such a different way than everybody else. And it's just kind of like wonderful to like when people are able to like break open games like that, right? Yeah, it was very cool to watch him play, especially because like the characters he's playing, he's not really supposed to like get the most amount of kills, but he was just, like, such a fantastic player, he would end up getting a bunch of kills on these characters that are more, like, support characters than duelists. So, yeah, he, yeah. he, he was always just really fun to watch, and um, I just kind of kept being a fan of him and his team throughout the time I got to watch them play. Yeah. And I want to talk about your your own streaming with uh, Valorant and Magic, because I understand that you started with Magic, obviously, and because you got so much into this game, Valorant, you started streaming Valorant as well. But I'm always curious to explore this topic with creators or streamers. It's like, how do you decide uh, when to branch out into a game and like how much time to give each game? Because like... Like you, you naturally as a streamer, you have an audience that knows you for a particular game, right? And then to to go variety or to do more than one game, that can be be challenging. So maybe can you walk me through your 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 thought process of like just doing that and kind of your experiences with that? It's definitely really hard, specifically in Magic, to branch out to other games because Magic players do not watch a lot of other things if they're watching magic mm -hmm. i i guess if you like watch twitch in general uh like sure you watch other things but specifically if someone is watching magic for magic they're not going to really follow you into another game they are going to go find a different magic streamer so starting off was really rough the first time i started to stream Valorant and um it did kind of slowly start to build up viewership again. Um, but then it just, it, it kind of got too hard streaming Valorant and still trying to test for, um, like, rivals and like, competitive events. So I switched back to playing Magic just because it gave me more time to, like, test and build my mm -hmm. brand and everything. Mm -hmm. um, I've tried a lot of times to switch on and off and find a 
consistent way to stream both. Um, I like, don't, like I, I guess I, really I guess did you uh, sorry did you did you try to like have a certain day of the week that you stream one game or do you try to like maybe at the end of the magic stream you switch to the other game like how how did, how did it work for you I've tried both of those and it it just like never ended up being something very successful or something that necessarily worked for me as much as I love streaming Valorant um I do feel kind of pigeonholed into magic for a decent amount just because like it, it it is really hard to start over when this is like kind of your career. Um I definitely would need to find a time where I can afford to lose like X amount of money um mm. for X amount of like months while I'm rebuilding my stream to target mm. it towards Valorant. Um because it like it is really discouraging to go from like hundred viewers streaming magic like consistently every day to like here's maybe thirty viewers and a lot mm. like a lot of people want that or whatever. But like that being my job, it's really hard to justify doing that consistently. How how do you feel about streaming in general? Like I I don't stream myself, but I I uh, maybe this is kind of a loaded question, but I always feel like life is so difficult for streamers. Like it's you literally have to sit there and do put in your hours. Like it's it's more it's the opposite of passive. Like you have to actually be on. And I know you've done it for quite a long time, so maybe maybe that helps. Like just just having reps, right? But like, how do you feel about streaming as of right now? Like just relative to everything that's going on around you or in your life? Streaming has definitely been really like this past couple of months have been uh, my hardest to stream ever. I've definitely felt um, burnt out at some points, um, especially with magic. Cause there's a lot of periods with magic. I do not enjoy magic and I do not want to play magic. But then the idea of streaming Valorant is just like, well, why don't I just take a day off if I am basically going to be doing the same thing if I play Valorant too. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely just like a very hard job. I know a lot of people think it's a very easy job because you just sit and play video games and Especially for someone like me, because I did touch on, like, I am very shy, and I am an introvert, and, like, I do end up just, like, screaming at my computer for, like, six hours a day, but, like, it is really hard to be on all the time. And then, I, after streaming, I don't want to talk to anyone, like, after that, because I've just been talking for six hours, and I don't... My social battery is at zero, even though I haven't actually physically seen someone. Right. Uh, physically, my throat hurts. My back hurts. My eyes hurt. Every, everything hurts. I'm tired. And I still have to work outside of streaming because it does not end at turning off the camera. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've also just been following a little bit of uh, Twitch, the platform. And it, it, it seems like they're also not doing creators or streamers a lot of favors either. Like, I, I think people have been pretty vocal about 
um, Twitch for a while, but I, I have a feeling it's like there's not really a better... There are alternatives, but it's still like the king of the streaming. So it's like it like if you're if you're streaming, you kind of have to be on the platform, right? Like it's just there's really even though discoverability and like there's various things that have been issues with the platform for a while. Um, I I don't know if you can maybe speak to that, like because you've been a, a you're a Twitch veteran, right? So how how do you see everything, like from your from your point of view, obviously? Yeah, when I started off streaming, there was like the idea that you hit partner and all of your problems go away. Cause then like, you're actually it, you're a real streamer and nothing realistically changes. It's basically the same thing. Um, I don't even know if you earn more money anymore mm -hmm. than you do affiliate. Cause I think they changed that. And like your tier three subs don't give you 70% of, uh, revenue anymore. Mm -hmm. And Twitch just like, doesn't, really have good ways of supporting you. Their idea of supporting you is letting you earn more money by running ads, which just like negatively impacts your viewership or community because like no one wants to sit around and watch minutes of ads every hour. And it just feels like there used to be a lot of support specifically for Twitch partners too. Mm -hmm. And then the market got completely oversaturated, not just in Magic, but, like, Twitch in general because of the pandemic. Because everyone's like, oh, yeah, I can stream, too. <laughs> but mm -hmm. now there's, like, infinite streamers and not enough viewers. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think it's challenging. Like, you're you're kind of living um, the creator life, right? Because, like, you're, you're doing stuff to... Uh, as as income um and I, I i would have to imagine like twitch is just one of many many options right i think uh you know there's whatnot there's uh there's all these things you can do with like the hours in your day there's also like you know being a creator on OnlyFans and like just choosing to do like x and y and z and i'm just like i'm just wondering like do you see twitch as like still like your main staple or are you trying to also kind of like branch off and diversify your your brand across different platforms. Maybe you've already done it. I'm just kind of like, I'm just not aware. So I definitely post on various social medias to try and like get more people to view. Mostly like the angle is to view my stream or to view my OnlyFans because those are my two sources of income right now. Um, so most of my social media use, which I do consider work too, like going on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram is all fueled as like a marketing thing to do the thing and go to my sources of income and hopefully try to support me. And um, at, I don't like always want it to be like magic necessarily, but that is... That is what I'm known for. That does help me in various aspects, continue to do what I want to do. And, uh, yeah, like, I, I don't want to like negatively, like talk about magic so much. Um, cause like there are times I really like magic. I, I think I do like magic right now. Um, but overall monetizing your hobby definitely makes you enjoy it less than I once did in like college where I could sit around and play magic for like 
I could play like commander games for six hours straight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can I, I would have to imagine like it's very hard for you now to just play magic for enjoying it, right? Like it, there's always something around it or you're maybe thinking about how can I make this into content or I is is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I think the only time I play magic for fun is Cubing, maybe. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Okay. I like limited too. Like, I, I could choose to stream something else, but I do stream like limited and cubes and stuff just to have fun. Or, yeah. like, for the past couple of years, I've been doing um, J Bro's vintage cube charity thing near the holidays. Um, so that, that's been really fun too. Oh, cool. I, I didn't know that's what he, he did. Is that, is that like an annual tradition that he has or? Yeah. Yeah. He has, uh, two teams pitted against each other. Um, and we each raise money for our selected charity and then, um, or yeah, the viewers like can donate to your specific charity and then, um, I forgot necessarily how it goes, but like the winner gets like more donations than to that. Sure. Charity. Yeah. yeah. They, yeah. they get to help the charity of their choice more or whatever it is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 So it's, it's all good in the end. Okay. That's, that's really cool. I actually did not know that, uh, he was organizing something like that or that you, you participated in. That's great. Um, so I want to ask you like, um, obviously magic is one income stream and only fans is the other one. Can you tell me a bit about, OnlyFans, like I like, I think we talked about this before recording. Like it, it's a it's a total mystery to me, like how OnlyFans works, especially as a creator. Like, so can you walk me through what that what that journey has been like for you? Just just uh, uh, being on that platform. Uh, yeah, basically, um, trying to think. I it's been like a year and a half now on the platform. And, um, it was first kind of suggested to me by someone I was previously dating, um, who I, I think it was more of like a backhanded thing. Cause he was not very nice to me. I'm just like, Oh, like start an only fans. Cause you have no self-respect or whatever. Uh, and then I'm like, okay. So I did. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I got a lot of help from. Uh, both Elizabeth Eden and uh, Christine Sprinkle. Um, Who are both on like, OnlyFans, right? They are. Yeah, yeah. Okay. To kind of initially answer any of the questions I had and um, just kind of help guide me through the, like, basics of the website and some advice and tips and, like, the biggest tip they had uh, as a whole was just don't do anything that you're not comfortable with. Like, this is your thing. You get to guide it. And that was like very helpful not to get like maybe pressured into something I didn't want to do just because I'm like, Ooh, I need the money or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. So but, that was yeah. a big, that was a, that was the biggest advice he gave you is kind of like be, be gradual or don't feel forced to do anything. Right. Yeah. Just like a lot of just like, stick to like what you want to do and just like don't get pressured like one way or another by people like subscribing to you like just because they're subscribing to you does not mean you necessarily owe them anything okay. um yeah yeah 
So as far as the like actual platform, I guess it's kind of just like any other kind of subscri subscription based uh, thing where you can subscribe monthly. I often run a bunch of like promotions to try and get more people in the front door so they'll subscribe following months at full price. Um, but yeah, for for the start of it, um, I was definitely more like anxious of keeping it more kind of like private or not really advertising it a lot. Um, I started it right after Rivals because uh, Watsi doesn't really like sex workers at all. So I'm like, mm. okay, I'm not in Rivals anymore. I can now do the thing. And they still kind of cut me out of all of their like promotional things like early access events and Oh shit, they did? Yeah, I I don't get early access events anymore on Arena. I don't get promotional product. Um So you're blacklisted. Wait, I don't get preview cards anymore, which is just like unfortunate because at the time when yeah. I started, I was not advertising my OnlyFans with my brand. Right. It was not like associated to my brand. I made a separate Twitter. Uh -huh. I made a separate like name and brand on OnlyFans so I could still be well liked in the magic community by wizards. But um I guess they have an issue with what people did do that doesn't affect them. <laughs> Which yeah, is Yeah. Like this is coming this is coming back to me now because I do remember uh, I don't I don't remember you talking about it. You must have talked about it publicly, but I do remember Elizabeth Eden talking about this or tweeting about this. Uh how yeah. basically she Probably is the biggest, like, if you, if you think about, like, her uh, her reach, she's probably the biggest magic content creator if you put her in the magic category. And I think that could actually be something that could help wizards. And I think they just chose to do with her what they, how they dealt, how they, how they treated you, right? So. Yeah, besides maybe, like, post Malone now or whatever, like, if they decided to support Elizabeth, I think she would single-handedly like actually make a significant like boost to wizard sales like she has yeah. a million followers on twitter like yes that's a lot <laughs> yeah yeah um so like forgive me these questions are like super specific but I, I it's like i'm just always wanting to figure out how things work so it's like when you uh start out on only fans like you're starting from zero basically everybody starts from zero like how mm -hmm. do you how do you market yourself like how do you like i'm sorry i'm not even thinking about like the nature of the content but like i i think about this question no matter what like because i started a youtube channel like three months ago i'm just like how do i start from zero right so like mm -hmm. what kind of things do you actually have to do because i i would imagine you would have to like you know promote yourself in some way so it's like how, how do you how do you even go about doing that like i have no idea i'm very fortunate to have a big following in magic which really got me off the ground especially for the first month because as if you're a known person and people have been wanting your only fans for a while the first month you make only fans is going to be your biggest jump in sales because everyone wants to see like right what's underneath and whatever um so there was like first initial month of i could 
not really have to do much because everyone just wanted to see my OnlyFans. So I focused mostly on, like, posting and, um, like, actually making the content and not so much promotion because I was trying to, like, keep a better image for Watsi, even though there's not anything wrong with sex work. Um, Mm -hmm. But that was just, like, in my head, very, like, anxious, shy, just started this person. I'm like, I need to be in good graces with Watsi. I need to not have anyone hate me online. I need to hide this because, like, if my parents find out, they'll be mad. They're not mad. (laughs) Like, just, like, a bunch of things I was very anxious about that ended up not really being a factor I needed to worry about actually um if anything it has made me much more confident in myself um Mm -hmm. because i do just get to be a professional hot person so okay i was i was very self-conscious before starting this which is kind of like weird Uh going into it but yeah (laughs) um but also more like now I do, um, for, for the entire time I've been posting, I've posted every day on the actual site. Um, I try to make content maybe like three to five times a week. And, Mm -hmm. um, I promote on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok is really hard because they have really strict community guidelines. Mm. Um, I have gotten yeah. an account banned on TikTok, so that's a little more rough to actually advertise. So my TikTok now is kind of just like me talking about books at the moment because I like reading. <laughs> just uh, it's you, but it but it's like a PG uh, like family friendly version. Yeah. yeah. So basically, on like TikTok, hoping people like just click my link tree and be like, Oh, uh, they have an OnlyFans. Uh, cool. Like surprise. Okay. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I answer a bunch of messages pretty much every day. Sometimes I'll go every other day just because it's a lot, um, mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. the app or not the app, but within the website. Mm-hmm. It, it's really, uh, a thing with streaming again it's a lot that you really don't it sounds about. like a real a real grind just yeah the way you described it like literally like every day you have to do stuff create content like the yeah. active work is incredible right yeah my friend from high school actually just got into it herself and she was talking to me about it and was like asking my income and whatever and i told her and she was just like how do you make that money or whatever? And I'm like, well, of course, like, I'm lucky that I had a following in Magic to start with. But I do all this stuff. I treat it like a job. And I'm still, like, growing on all platforms to keep this form of income going. Because it is really scary living not knowing if you're actually going to have income next month or not. Based on if people just, like, all at once decide, I don't want to follow you anymore. And there's just, like, nothing I can do about that. So, I, like, I do treat it like a real job. And between OnlyFans and Twitch, I work infinitely more than someone with a normal 9-to-5. 
is that something that you you're comfortable with for now or do you think about like going back to getting like a normal a normal job because i remember talking to you earlier and you know you have studied uh you had originally wanted to be a counselor and like there are other things that you had as options so i mean how do you feel about everything in terms of uh making making a living basically i have a master's in counseling and um I do not think I can ever go back because I don't think I can put myself through that mentally challenging of work for $40,000 a year. Okay. Okay. Because that is, even before, like, understanding what Twitch and OnlyFans money is, um, Mm -hmm. $40,000 a year is not really livable income where I live. Mm -hmm. At all. Mm-hmm. Even when I lived in Wisconsin, which had super cheap cost of living, mm-hmm. is not, like, feasible on top of all of, like, the mental strain and secondhand trauma you develop from your patients or clients. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. do not really want to put myself in that mindset again. I still do volunteer crisis counseling from time to time because I do want to, like, help people and stuff but that's more of like a volunteering thing and mm-hmm. um i like yeah not once having... once it's a job like a nine to five it's totally different yeah. yeah i like having helping people not tied to my income i don't want to really make money off of helping people right right and and being a creator now i guess whether it's twitch or only fans like it i i would have to assume it scales like your income scales with like how much work you put into it right so like some people work less and they make less and some people work more and they 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 make more and it sounds like you're kind of in the latter category like you work pretty hard to 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 maintain or to grow at a certain level right yeah and that's kind of what i was trying to explain to my friend i was like i like i'm really treating this as a real job and putting the work in and it's just like a thing that people think it's very easy money and you can just like to be a little crude, just like get naked and earn money. And it's like, that's only kind of like a fraction of it. It's you actually have to market yourself and make yourself like something that people want. Like Mm. there's always going to be a different option. Like like know your audience and how, and mm -hmm. how to promote yourself and things like that. Yeah. There's, there's always a different option and there's, unless you're like the top person on the website, there's always going to be a, better or cheaper option so Uh, like you kind of have to figure out like why do people want to specifically subscribe to you and you have to work to that and yeah it's not just like a free roll of money all the time yeah okay so this might be a gross assumption on my part but uh no pun intended um but like i would imagine that when you're creating content like that on OnlyFans, you also need to tap into the psychology of like males, mostly male, uh, audience who like fantasize about something happening with the creators. Right. So like, how does one, how do you draw the boundaries around that? Cause I would imagine like, I, I mean, just, just thinking about myself as a consumer, potential consumer, it's like, I want to, there's always some sort of fantasy element when it comes to like, subscribing to someone's only fans and i'm just wondering how you deal with that or how you uh yeah I, I very open question but i'm just curious like your process 
Yeah, it's definitely um, sometimes like a role I definitely have to get into to start working. Um, Cause it's I I don't think I'm necessarily like being like fake to people. But maybe but there's I a persona, right? Just like we all have a yeah, persona. Yeah, I have to I have to like really tap into like a specific role and like kind of like find the energy to really like engage with people directly i definitely um kind of like creating the content more than actually interacting with people but that's probably again because like i'm shy and like especially when i started like this i was not understanding or like into like sex work or that kind of like sexual things at all so like i was just like don't look at me this is a bad career choice um uh-huh. Uh-huh. but like i said i have gotten a lot more confident and um oh by the way i have to say i just have to interrupt you like if this is if any of these questions are like too uncomfortable we can just like skip them or if you don't want to answer further it's it's totally fine yeah no no we're good Okay. I'm I'm fine with this. Okay, okay, sorry. I'm yeah. just getting nervous for you, so. Yeah, yeah. No, no, you're good. I am I'm I think I'm fairly open with most things. Um What was I saying? Uh just just initially how like when you have interactions with fans. I guess we'll call them fans cuz obviously it's the platform is called OnlyFans, right? So yeah. when you have interactions with fans, it can be a little uh challenging and uh or maybe it, it still is challenging, right? Even today I would that's my that's my guess. I think the biggest challenge um, is I do suffer a lot of uh, PTSD and depression. So it sometimes some days it's really hard to like get into a mood to mostly respond to messages, but also post mm. sometimes, which is then gets me very anxious because I'm like, well, I need to post, I need to respond, I need to, like, make my monthly income or I'm not going to have income. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, the like that's my biggest challenge is getting past those days where I don't want to post, I don't want to get out of bed, and I don't want to respond to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, like, I am not in the mood or I want to lay in bed or I'm very depressed or I'm triggered or i'm having anxiety or something like that so that that is my biggest challenge i think that's been my biggest challenge throughout uh all of it besides maybe just like getting used to the idea of being sexy in general when i started Mm -hmm. this is like i heard sometimes maybe it's like some of the bigger OnlyFans creators i've heard like some people hire like almost like ghostwriters or like people who do the messaging for them. Uh, have you heard about this? Like, I, I like, is it true? Like they basically have guys just pretend to be uh, the girls they're representing and just kind of like do the messaging with their fans. Like maybe that's a good way to compartmentalize if that's true. I've definitely heard some of the like bigger free OnlyFans accounts, like Peach Jars or whoever, like recently hired someone to do her messages. But um I've joked about my with my friends a little bit to uh, write some of my reviews for people 
sending me pictures and me responding to them, but yeah. um, they just thought it was funny and they really wanted to do it. But I'm like, I should probably do this because they're paying me money. Even yeah. though I don't necessarily want to look at these pictures. Okay, so they're like that. That was going to be my other question: is like, does the platform do anything to, um, to help like moderate content or like to help like keep things okay between creators and their fans? Like, is there like can you can you report people? Can you block people? Like, is there anything? Do you get support on that, or is it just kind of like you're you're on your own? I can report and block people. I can also um, restrict people where they can do everything except message me um like they can still subscribe to me they can still like like and comment but they cannot direct message me um and then anytime someone sends me a picture message it uh appears like blurry and i have to specifically click it um oh, okay. to view it okay. so like if someone doesn't pay me first per se i don't have to <laughs> click it <laughs> okay okay so they kind of know all the scenarios where like that could happen. Okay, so that's good. So overall, like, would you say you have you've had a positive experience on the platform? Uh, yes, definitely. I think people on this platform are infinitely nicer to me than I've had on Twitter or Twitch is fine now because I have very uh, strict moderation and very good mod teams. But mm -hmm. when I first started out, I would get like, hate bots constantly and people creating fake accounts with like horrible names about like me like my Your name appearance and, or you and or, then yeah. like like just horrible usernames that i cannot even like repeat here um yeah so like that was awful but like really over a year and a half of only fans i've only had to, to block two people i think mm-hmm so they are for the most part pretty respectful and then um because it is mostly a magic community i'm sure i have people on there that aren't related to magic but i assume most of them are from magic so i've stated like hey like if you see me at an event feel free to like come up and say hey like introduce yourself and say hey like i follow you on only fans and like i'm completely comfortable with that but mm -hmm. like to still like treat me with respect in public like don't sure talk to me how you would in dms to me in public right but like you right. can you can like say where you follow me from like so i know who you are yeah yeah um that that's totally fair it sounds like you've you you do a you, you do a good job of like setting boundaries with people who are your fans or like um uh, people who follow you, followers, fans, I don't know, there's different interchangeable terms, but like you do a good job of that. Is that something you've had to uh, kind of learn along the way or did you always have like a very good like idea of what those boundaries are? I think for OnlyFans, I've always been pretty consistent with it, but that came from learning it uh, previously in the magic community. I think like the loosest I've been with boundaries and stuff was when I first started in the magic community, which was on Instagram. And I was just posting pictures of foil cards every day. And I would trade a lot on mm -hmm. Instagram and like trade, I play a lot of EDH, so we just trade cards. And 
at one point, this person messaged me uh, that I had not traded with before, so he did not have my address uh, ethically. He sent me my address and said, this is where I watch you touch yourself on Instagram when I am just showing foil cards. So I had to call the police and it was scary. So uh, after that, I really started to kind of put more boundaries on everything online because the internet is scary and some men are scary. You got to protect yourself because I, yeah. I, I would say not just some men, I would say many men are scary. <laughs> so that's, that's the thing. I can just imagine people like every time I just say like, I'm genuinely scared of men sometimes. I'm just like, well, not all men. It's like, well, it's like just enough men. Enough men are scary where I don't know if you're the not all man because you don't have a sign around your neck saying I'm not the scary man. Yeah, because like, wouldn't it's it's like any situation. It's kind of like what we talked about with the diner. It's like, wouldn't you just be on on guard no matter what? Because like, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't pay to be relaxed, right? It doesn't pay to not be on guard because if something happens, you're like, oh shit, I'm not on guard. Like, so I mean, it just seems logical to me. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. it's just like easier for a guy who is not actually a bad guy to prove that he's not a bad guy just by being himself than Mm -hmm. me to just like not assume any man is like bad and then suffer the awful things that I have actually suffered, even though I think men are scary. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, um, I I think you mentioned a lot of things about OnlyFans, but I am wondering like, what are the biggest misconceptions you think people have about the platform maybe from like a consumer perspective because like consumers only see one side of it right i don't know about specifically from a consumer but the like biggest misconception for sure is that it's just easy money um but i already touched on that Mm -hmm. from an actual consumer see i don't really know like if consumers like actually like think that the people that they follow like want to get like intimate with them or not like i i suppose if they like genuinely think each creator they talk to wants to be intimate with them i guess that's mm-hmm. a misconception mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that seems like a reach right because to me it's it's like i mean on an intellectual level you have to know that like creators are are doing things at scale like more with more than one fan so it's uh to me it's like uh maybe i'm just grossly generalizing but it's like it's more like subscribing to playboy like it's it's like a personalized experience that you choose i want to subscribe to this person or this person but there should never be like a line crossed where it's like it becomes like a personal relationship right because they're not your your partner or girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever right It it just doesn't make sense to me but i can understand like some people if they're just not if they if they think differently it, it could get kind of weird but hopefully it doesn't get there for creators i mean yeah yeah i think for the most part the people i've interacted with have been like very respectful and um pretty like socially adept as far as like the magic community goes um yeah i haven't had like huge problems and like the people that i have had to block have more just been like 
angry that I charge too much. And I'm like, okay, bye. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, how, what 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 would you say is your current stance on just sex work in general? Like, um, this is a fairly recent thing for you on a personal level. So like, have you, do you have thoughts about just this, just sex workers or sex work in general? I think I was always pro sex work before, um, I really got into it. I definitely followed like Lisbeth for a while, um, before I got into it and was pretty vocal, like about like how Watsi should support her and not blacklist her and stuff. So um actually going into it like i i understand the phrase that like sex work is work because it's a lot of work mm -hmm. and um well like i personally i get i i guess something that like i do have to like realize and i think more people should realize too is the people on OnlyFans when it comes to sex work it is a huge privilege of us to just be able to be on OnlyFans because that is not just what sex work is and a lot of women have and and non-women have to put themselves in very dangerous situations to afford to live and in a broader term we as a society need more support for people in those positions too just like everyone in general uh more of just like a socio-political thing of poverty and everything mm -hmm. without like getting into that uh pro-sex work only mm -hmm. fans is a privilege and we need more support <laughs> for mm -hmm. people in those positions so maybe related like ha have your views on the economy or like capitalism changed like after you got into Twitch and OnlyFans, just because now it feels like a very direct thing. It's like you put in a unit of work, you get this kind of like unit of thing compensation back. I'm, I'm just wondering like this, like did anything change in terms of your views about how the world works or the economy or capitalism to use a kind of a lofty term. I always hear a lot of things of like how like small businesses or whatever tend to be more like right leaning for like some reason. So like I think some people like expected me to stop being a complete leftist after like doing this or whatever because I make money and I have to pay a lot of taxes now, but I would say it's not really, if anything, it made me more of a leftist. So I don't okay. know. Okay. So people thought that just because like people who have like, like maybe generalizing, but like people who acquire more wealth will over time become more right-leaning in American politics because they feel like they need to then start paying less taxes and become more intolerant of certain groups or whatever like you just transform yeah into that or I, I mean there's like always the like social issues that i'm never gonna like ever regress back on like what my small conservative hometown taught me like ever but like even with like money i don't 
have issues paying taxes. I would very much like us to have universalized health care because I have to pay a, a shit ton for health care now. And like mm -hmm. me loving capitalism isn't going to make that better for me or anyone else. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what's the, what's your relationship like now with your folks? How would you describe that? It's really good. Uh, I don't think it was ever really bad. By the way, I'm not, I'm not implying that doing any work on any social platform has anything to do with like, it, it might, it, I don't want to give you the wrong idea. It's just a totally like independent question. What's your relationship with your parents? Like, yeah, no, of yeah. course. Um, I know in high school, um, I was less close with my dad because he had problems with alcohol. Um, but a couple of years ago, he stopped drinking. I think he's been sober for like four or five years now. And he inspired me to stop drinking uh, in 2021. So I went a whole year without drinking. Um, but when I moved home at last year, yeah, when I moved home last year for a year, uh, I was in a bad living situation in Wisconsin. Uh, my parents were very kind to let me stay with them until I bought my house. Um, and during that time, my relationship with my parents just like, and my siblings too, just like increased a lot. I try to see them one to two times a week now because I'm still kind of near them. And mm. it's just infinitely better now than it was uh when I lived at home in high school, which mm. it wasn't even bad. So, okay. I have a so you've always had a, my family. You've always had a really decent, important. decent relationship always sounds like. Yeah. Okay. My family okay. is pretty important to me. Uh, how hard was it to, uh, quit drinking or quit alcohol for a year? Um, definitely. So I made the decision to quit drinking. Um, I think it was in December of 2020. So like almost in the new year, because I bombed out of a very important PT that I needed for like rivals points because I was hungover and like throwing up and had a huge headache. It was just like a typical hangover. A really bad one and the person i was with at the time um well this is just like a super horrible thing to say to like your partner ever it did give me a wake-up call uh he was just like i can't believe how like pathetic you are you're throwing uh you're throwing this huge opportunity that you don't deserve away in the toilet referencing the like special invites or whatever um that i don't deserve it a bunch of stuff that i am an embarrassment and that he's ashamed that he's with me so uh i decided that uh that would be the last time that i was drinking uh well not the last time i was drinking but um like, let it affect you to that level, right? Yeah. And just for 
my New Year's resolution was I was not going to drink for a whole year. And the first three months were really, really hard. And um, it, it was never to a point where I was drinking every day or anything. It was more when I was drinking, I would drink too much. So I could go periods of time without drinking. But like when I did drink, it would be like I drink like a whole pack of White Claws or something. And then whiskey and then until I black out or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I, after that, like as shitty as my ex was, I didn't want to have the same issues that my dad had. And I saw that I had let myself get to that uh, point. So for three months, it was really, really hard because I used alcohol as my coping mechanism. And that's why it got to the point it did every time I drank, because I would only heavily drink when I was upset. So I didn't have that as a coping mechanism anymore. Um, so I tried a bunch of other things, and then eventually it got easier, and I didn't really even need, like, some kind of, like, thing as a coping mechanism other than, like, maybe talking out my problems or going on a walk or something actually kind of healthy. And this January, this past January, I think it was like halfway through the month before I even like had my first drink after a year sober. And this whole year, I think I've drank five times. So that year really just changed my life to the point where like, I don't even feel the need to drink anymore when people are drinking. It's just like, I'm not even like interested in this. I'm not like jealous. I don't really want to drink. And when I do drink, it's like, oh, here's one drink or two drinks. Like I have no urge to drink more, which is everything I've ever wanted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, um, I've thought a lot about like quitting drinking entirely. Like I don't drink a lot, but I always felt kind of bad that I even drank at all. Like it's not like I ever got to the point where um, it was too much, but I always just felt like it felt, I felt like I felt this always felt this kind of weakness, like having to rely on something. Cause like maybe, maybe it's similar to you. Like, when I am not in a good mood or I feel like I need to relax, like I, I want to have a drink, like I, I don't try to do too much, but I'll have like maybe just one beer and like just one a day. But even that to me feels like, do I really need it? Like, do I really need it? Like, at the end of the day, we really don't need all that much, right? I probably don't even need this coffee that I've been drinking for this whole recording. Like, it's just a habit. Like, so do I really need it? I think that's... um I think that's inspiring to hear that perspective from you because like to not do it for a whole year, that requires a lot of willpower. I don't know if I have that willpower, but somehow you found a way. The biggest thing too, is when you don't drink for a whole year, you see how much social interactions and just like American society 
is centered around drinking. Mm -hmm. Everything, Mm -hmm. everything to the start of it was just drinking on dating apps. Mm -hmm. Everyone was like, let's go grab a beer and Mm -hmm. get to know each other. Like, let's grab a drink. Uh, like football games on the weekend is centered around drinking. Holidays are centered around drinking. Magic mm-hmm. events. You scrub out an event or win, <laughs> it's around drinking. It's a bar. Like, it's just, yeah. I didn't realize it. And you, you start to realize, like, one, how much everything is centered around drinking. And two, mm-hmm. like, how many other people also have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you you see like the whole it's like it's literally the social lubricant, right? Like like society is kind of like built on that, like just just people drinking or socializing that way, I guess. Yeah, that's I guess I've uh, had to uh, break through my shyness a little bit since I don't have al- I didn't have alcohol. Yeah, anymore to kind of like push through that, so. I do think I've gotten like a little more confident and a little more outgoing, but I'm still kind of an introvert. So mm, I, I can, I can tell. Yeah. We're, we're both introverts definitely. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so is it okay if I just like ask you about a, a little bit of like rapid fire questions that just, just to kind of like close out the, the interview. Is that all right? Yeah. Okay. Um, First of all, I wanted to ask you how you feel about uh, what is most exciting about Magic to you right now. Are there like particular formats or like certain events or where things are going that you feel particularly excited about at this point in time? I'm excited to see how the RCs go and see if this is like a good kind of step in the pro scene again and see if that kind of comes back in any capacity because i know people are really excited for it now um but we do need to see how it actually plays out and i'm also excited for limited in general because i've come to love limited okay what is it about culver's i don't i don't know if i'm pronouncing it correctly but apparently this is your favorite fast food culver's frozen custard Butter burgers, according to the website. Like, what is it about this that makes it your favorite restaurant or favorite fast food? Probably just my favorite fast food. But instead of fries, you can get cheese curds. And cheese curds are the best side in the world. It's just fried cheese. It's great. And their their chicken tenders are really good. Because I don't eat burgers, so that kind of, like, rules out a lot of fast food options for me. Because I don't eat beef. Um yeah. So Culver's just has like the best chicken tenders ever. Okay. So when you go, when you go there, you can just get the chicken tenders as your main, as your main thing. Yeah. And that's, that's enough. The it's a big portion. Chicken portions. tenders and cheese curds. And then yeah. I've also figured out that you can start to get pints of, of custard because custard is like their thing. And yeah. you can get uh, four pints of custard for like $12. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they it's actually sell good. that by the, by the by the bucket or by the barrel or by the pint. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like just like a cheaper like Ben and Jerry's, but it's like custard too. So I prefer it to ice cream. Okay. Okay. Uh, Next question is, how did you get into creative writing and poetry? My understanding is that you've been doing a 
tiny bit of that, or maybe more than a tiny bit recently. So like, what, what's the, what's the angle and how'd you get into it? Um, I have been like on off this year, writing some poetry and it's, um, my therapist who helped me, um, through a lot of my like PTSD suggested, um, to try writing and I gravitated towards poetry and I just kind of like threw thoughts onto a paper and then kind of came back and organized it into like specific like way and it was actually pretty good. And then I've, sh I've shared a little bit on Twitter and people actually took really well to it. What is, what is the thing that you, you, you enjoy the most? Is it, is it like it, can you describe like the process of like putting words out onto, uh, on paper or putting words out into, into the world? Like, what is that? What does it feel like to do that? I guess the thing I obviously like writing it for like myself, but I really like the idea of conveying my emotions in a way that other people might be able to actually feel them where I feel like if I just like try and describe an emotion like someone's like oh yeah like I kind of get that but if I write poetry it feels so much deeper where people can really really feel how I feel or like what happened to me Okay. Okay. So, um, are you, so it, it is a combination of like writing for yourself, but also writing for a potential audience. Yeah. And sometimes I don't even like show anyone, but just having that, like, like you said, potential audience there, I think helps a lot. Okay. Um, so the name Skylar, uh, were you always, you know, you know, Batman, right? Like, uh, you know how, you know how, like they say there's not really a Bruce Wayne, like Bruce Wayne is always Batman. Like Bruce Wayne is actually the disguise for Batman, right? Like yeah. he's always been Batman. Like, is, is that, is, were you always Skylar in the sense that you were always Batman or like what, like, how do you think about that? Like to like. What do you mean? Like, like, okay, maybe this, okay. I, I should explain myself. Like, um, like your name is now Skylar. Like, so how did you come up with the name Skylar? Were you all, did you always feel like you were Skylar and you just didn't call yourself Skylar or like, like how did that name, what's the origin of your, the name that you choose to, uh, to identify yourself as now? So I guess for being non-binary, I, to make like a longer story short is, uh, I was, I was bullied a lot in middle school and high school. Um, and the nature of them bullying me was, uh, saying I was ugly and saying that I looked like a guy. And since I was assigned female at birth, I did not like that as a kid. So it really stunted me ever exploring my gender. Um, mm -hmm. and then when college came around and I started to meet other people who have felt like me, I was like, hey, I could be non-binary. And I tried out 
like pronouns and stuff and it kind of just like was a recurring theme in my life for many 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 years at this point um where i was just like yep this is a thing i am non-binary i might feel more comfortable at least in the magic scene with a different name because i i don't care that my family still calls me dead name but i mm-hmm. do not really want anyone in the magic community to call me that so i googled non-binary names <laughs> and <Okay. laughs> it was one of the first one that came up and i was just like i like this because i can be sky which is yeah. also a character in valorant is sky okay and then i okay. can be long or longer skyler so okay That's... and yeah really pretty much everyone in my life except my family calls me sky or skyler now and it's just it feels right and it's definitely who i am awesome awesome well skyler i guess the the last question is like what's the best place for people to find you on the internet or where you would like to be found i am at mythic Mebo on twitter uh but maybe Twitter is exploding at the moment with Elon Could Musk. Be. So yeah. <laughs> uh, there's also twitch.tv slash Mebo mm-hmm. or onlyfans.com mm-hmm. slash bell curves. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, those are the, those are my two main sources of income. So if you want to support me on either of those, that's where you can find me. And I'm most active on Twitter as long as that is alive. I, I sincerely hope that it stays alive as, as much as it's, uh, can be pretty nasty. Sometimes it, it is, uh, I am hopelessly addicted to it and I suspect many people are as well. Um, so why, why bell curves for, for only fans? Why didn't you go with Meeble or Skylar or something else? That was to like the point in time I was trying to be Watsy friendly. So I picked a whole mm. different name. Um, and I liked bell curves because it was like a mix of like psychology and magic because it's like a bell curve, which also yeah. kind of looks like a boob. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. but there's like, like curves, like mana curves in magic and bell mm-hmm. curves in actual psychology, because at that point I was still, um, mm-hmm. a lot more identified with my master's degree in counseling and mm-hmm. like I, I still identify with that a lot but it's much less a part of my life now as it was a couple of years ago yeah yeah no that that makes a lot of sense there's there's a lot of uh design in the name i like that i like that um yeah skylar thank you so much for taking the time to to talk to me and uh uh i hope you have a great rest of the the evening where you are yeah thank you so much for having me on again <laughs>